and good morning everyone. It's good to see you. So uh, those of you at the, uh, the uh, what do we call it, the vision night. That was a good night, wasn't it? Yeah. That was exciting. Oh, come on. That was great, wasn't it? I mean, it's just good. There's a sense of fun and unity and purpose and vision and all that kind of stuff. So for those of you that couldn't make it, I think we're going to try and put those in a diary on a regular basis just so we can gather together, but also keep a sense of you know, purpose and unity, which as you'll find out as we read the passage this morning we're going to look at, is massively crucial if we're to grow as a family. So if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to start by reading a word together. And then if you haven't got a Bible, you can check out your smartphone. Or if there's two of you sitting together and you each have a Bible, why not lend it to the person next to you and stop being so moody? Okay, there we go. Right, so this is Acts 6. Oh, that's a nice stable. Okay, so we're going to read through this whole section. Um, and just to say that... That, that is going to go, isn't it? We're going to read through the whole section together uh, and I'm going to invest in some clip mics for the future so we don't keep having these struggles on a Sunday. Here we go, Acts 6. In those days, when the number of disciples is increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Pocuus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses 
and Deuteronomy. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Let's have a moment of prayer, I think. It's a great thing when we read the Word together. The amazing thing is, is the way that the Holy Spirit can take you know, different verses to different people. As you read the Word, something just gets illuminated. And that's how you prepare a sermon. You, know, you, you sit in front of the Word and you think, what's the Holy Spirit reading to you? Because there's so much in this. So let's just take a moment to pause and then we'll see where the Lord takes us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what it brings to us, how we can learn so much each week and each day as we read it. We pray this morning you would take us again further into what it means to be your people. Help us to get our culture right. Help us to get gospel ministry right. Help us to learn from what happened here in the early church in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have this fascinating time here where... Uh, you know, we've gone through Pentecost, we've gone through, you know, they, they were frightened in their upper room and suddenly the Spirit came and things started to kick off and then Acts 2, 42 onwards, if you remember uh, that bit, uh, people started to share their possessions and they were devoted to one another, they devoted themselves to the Word and to prayer and, uh, and, and the apostles were ministering and powers upon them and no one was without, everyone was sharing their possessions and then Opposition comes every time there's an increase in gospel ministry. Opposition comes. And then in Acts 5, which we've just navigated our way through, uh, there's a persecution stirring up again. But also we learn that this whole thing about being a community of people is very powerful. I mean, if you remember just reading back and looking at this stuff, uh, the apostles are healing many, but it says, you know, they were bringing people so that at least Peter's shadow would fall on them. So, I mean, just some astonishing things, but this great sense of community as well was happening. No one was without because everyone was sharing their possessions. And that, we, we can gather, was obviously dynamically attractive. So although great fear was on people because of the power of God, the attractive thing about the community of people was the power of God was moving, but people shared stuff, and they did life together. So actually, you know, going shooting yesterday was a bit of a laugh, although I felt completely emasculated because I missed everything. It was a bit of a laugh. But also, it's just good to be together. And although you're picking up that good to be together for us blokes means shooting each other and shooting stuff, it doesn't have to mean that. You know, it can mean scale electrics as well, and things like that. But community is just so important. But did you know that even back then, churches were full of people who fell out with each other? Isn't that just amazing? You'd never think that that could happen, did you? that people within the church where there are signs and wonders and everyone's loving each other and everyone's doing life together, do you know what? They actually fell out with each other. You couldn't make it up, could you? That actually happened. Now I know that that is a mystery to you. You think, how can that ever happen in a church? But it happened then. So I thought, well, we should start with that. We should start by thinking, how do Christians actually fall out with each other? I mean, we all love Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you don't really chat, if you know Jesus, and, and we all, we, we, he died for us, and he rose again, and we've been transformed, and we're going to spend eternity together, that's a bit of a thing, isn't it? 
Harpings of Christian Resources exhibitions before, they were manning a stand, and I've got all these grumpy people walking past, and think, I've got to spend eternity with this lot. That's what it's wrong there. But that's amazing. We're going to spend eternity together and all that stuff, but we still manage to fall out. And here we have it, right at the beginning, back to chapter 6, after all of this amazing stuff is happening, people started to fall out. The Hellenistic Jews among the disciples were complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution of food. Now, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews were all still Jews, but there were slight differences. The Hebraic Jews were kind of like the traditional kind of, you know, the Jews who originated from Israel. So they would, they would be followers of Jesus, but they would have customs that were still very much ingrained in the, you know, the, the kind of the traditional ways of life. But then there were the Hellenistic Jews, who they were kind of like uh, imbibing a bit of the Greco-Roman culture, and they might have been people who have scattered around. So I'm really into this now just slightly, but I imagine that the Hebraic Jews were kind of traditional, you know, serious kind of people, and the, the Greek Hellenistic kind of Jews were sort of like cool. You know, like me, cool. You know, and, and they would be adopting new customs and stuff. And so, again, just you try, what you've got to do in scripture, you get one line, and you've got to try and think, what was happening here? So probably the Hebraic Jews are going around thinking, we'll just give our days the food, because we like them more, because they're proper. And the Hellenistic Jews are going, look, we're cool, we use apple mac and everything, but our widows are just as important as your widows. And so this sort of wow broke out, because community does that. When you get people together of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds and traditions, conflict can happen. So the apostles realise they've got to get a grip on this pretty quickly. And so what they do is quite radical. You have here the beginnings of the structure of the church. Now, there, there's very little information in the New Testament about how church structures actually work. You have to extrapolate from it. So, for instance, when you're reading Corinthians or when you're reading Timothy, these are letters that were written to address particular situations at the time. So you have to look at it and think, well, okay, what can we learn from that? So here, we kind of got what we think are the beginnings of deacons being appointed. And we said that the vision line, we need to find deacons, people who actually... You know, help make things happen. We've got a vast team of people already doing that, which is exciting, but that's what's happening here. So look what they said. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Interesting that the apostles set the parameters, they've got to be full of the spirit and wisdom, you choose. That's quite radical. That frightens the life out of me. Now you choose. You pick a couple of people, bring them to us, and then we'll lay hands on them and appoint them, and they can crack on with it. You know, now as a leader, you know, everything in you wants to kind of micromanage something, we'll choose the people we're going to work with. But they said, no, no, you choose. I wonder what happened if they choose someone who's really grumpy and horrible. What if they still lay hands on them? We don't know. What we do know is that the people were full of the Spirit too, and they picked out a, a number of people, to some of them from among you, we'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and minister the Word, 
this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and a load of other names which is slightly complex to pronounce. They appointed them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and so the word spread. So I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, okay, Father, what, what is the distinctive thing here that we can really draw out from this? And I'll tell you, there are a couple of things that really jarred me. I kind of thought, that's fascinating. You would think, wouldn't you? It's quite obvious to think, we need to pick people who are wise. We've got a bit of conflict stirring up. We need some wise people who can manage this process. Maybe people who are a bit ambassadorial. People who can just kind of smooth things over and make some decisions. That's obvious, isn't it? And I think when we come to choose people in churches for positions of leadership or to do stuff, if we were to say, look, we need some wise people, that seems pretty obvious. That's something that many churches would do. We need to speak some wise people. So, so often in church, and churches I've led have been involved in, when you look at who the elders are and who the deacons are, they're often very executive type of people. They're the people who might have middle management positions or higher management positions, because that's what you'd normally gravitate to. Now you think, if we're going to get a treasurer, we need someone who's good with money, maybe a senior accountant. Now if we're going to do administration, there's someone who's been in the civil service, and you know, they're a higher executive officer, they will bring that stuff to us. That's fine, but something else is going on here too. Let's be people who are not just wise, but full of the Holy Spirit. I started to think, yeah, that's interesting. Full of the Holy Spirit. How do you tell that? How do you know? How do you know? If we said, me and Dan said, choose from among you wise people, full of the Holy Spirit. Because clearly they knew who were known to be full of the Spirit. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, they don't actually say he's wise there. I assume that he was. Now, I just started to ponder back over the years I've been involved in church leadership and putting teams together and stuff. And I started to think, A, how do you know? And B, why is that so important? And what does that mean for us? Well, let me give you a scenario. This is a classic scenario. I go into a church, do a bit of consultancy, that's what I do, partly for a living, where it's going to be my whole job soon. And I, and I go in there and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, how can I help this church become purposeful and missional, but also a place that's characterised by joy and love and hope and unity? Do you know one of the first things I do? I go in the kitchen. I have a little look in the kitchen. Because I can learn a lot about a church by the kitchen. And I go in there and I see where the biscuits are. And I look where the coffee is and the bottles of squash. And if I see a sign on a cupboard that says, this squash is only to be used by the short Mac bubbles group, I know we've got a little issue. This is ridiculous. This is a church. Jesus has died for these people. They're going to spend eternity together. We're an outpost for the glory of God. You know, each church is like, it's like an outpost on the frontiers of hell trying to rescue people. We want to pull people out of the fire. 
We have built rescue stations for people who have faced their lost eternity, but you go and they'll be squashed. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, fascinating. One of the first things I say to people is, what happens if your youth group pisses up and you've got 50 kids and, and they run out of Ibina and they break into the short map goals group squash supply? What do you do then? Well, we can't have that because then there's only one. I think that's fascinating. And I often say to people, you've got to get rid of those signs on the back. And those signs are cups. You know exactly what I mean, don't you? You see the signs on a cupboard. Strict signs. Don't sit on the counters. Don't make a mess. You know, all that kind of stuff. Don't touch my biscuits. They might think I'm major or minors, but I'm not. It's fascinating. You know, there's this thing called a broken window syndrome. Like, if you have a, let's say you have a street, and it's got a bit of graffiti in it, and a one broken window. The theory is, if you don't clean up that bit of graffiti in that broken window, you get more broken windows. If you don't clean up those broken windows, then you get a bit more street crime. If you don't deal with the street crime, then you get an arson attack. If you don't deal with the arson attack, you get a murder, you get a mugging. The idea is you deal with the smallest things. You want high quality, your values flow from the smallest things to the biggest thing. People who are full of the Holy Spirit are characterised, I think, and I believe from the people that I've interacted with, and what I see in Scripture, are characterised by an overflow of grace. How do I know that? Galatians 5. It's the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, and joy, and peace, and kindness, and goodness, but not on the surface level stuff. Now, I'm not saying you can go around being grumpy in here and saying this. What I mean is, you can have the countenance of a peace-filled, joy-filled person, but actually be a micromanaging, control-freak nightmare who pins everything down. You can have all your periods of joy in your face, but actually, deep in the heart, not be characterised by those things. And I think you can tell by the way that people flow together, where they've encountered the love of God, because when you have filled the Holy Spirit, the foundational verse to me is Romans 8.15. By the Holy Spirit, we cry, have a father, and know that we're children of God. We know we've been adopted into the family of God. And that is the foundation of all security. Do you want to know why I have a charismatic position theologically? Actually, it probably flows from Romans 8.15. Because when you know, you know you're adopted into the family of God, and God loves you, and you are unconditionally loved, and he has done everything for you, you want everyone to drink your squash. You're not bothered. Uh, one of the first things we did in the church that I used to lead, because we went there, they had locked cupboards for specific groups. We smashed those locks off. And we appointed someone to say, just make sure the stocks are replenished. Who's going to pay for it? We'll pay for it. We want everyone to come in here to know that they have love and have generosity. And we're not all in our little silos. So I think here, what they were doing is thinking, look, the Hellenistic Jews, they're rubbing the Hebraic Jews up the wrong way. We've really got to try and deal with this. You know, we, there's control here, there's criticism, there's complaint, there's a bit of grumbling, there's a, a little bit of favouritism, there's people correcting each other. You know, we can't have that. We can't have that. It's amazing though, isn't it? 
how quickly these things can creep in. Isn't it? Because we're people. We're people. And we have sin, which by its very nature is self-centeredness. But you imagine what a community looks like that when they walk in here, which I think we are moving towards, is characterised, this group of people, by, you know, do you know what? For all our foibles and weirdness, we love each other. And we're generous. Massively generous. I mean, hugely. That is so counter-cultural to the atmosphere that's flowing out there today. The language of the street is probably complaint. You hang out in any queue at Tesco or Morrison's or Lidl, people are moaning. I go in churches that are busy and people are moaning about the car park. It's astonishing. But if we get the values right at the centre so that love and grace and generosity and hope flow, we won't be moaning about the car park and all the covers. We're just excited about the fact that people's lives are changing. So we don't want people in positions or a church that's characterised by very good administration and misery. Because that's what happens. Do you know, just a quick word on this, because I think this is foundational here. Do you know why churches have constitutions? Does anyone know? Why do we have a constitution? We have a constitution. This church has to have a constitution because of charity law. But do you know why we have detailed constitutions? Yeah, it's about, I say it's about complying, because we've got the law. But when you have constitutions that are broken down into like Article 6, Subsection 4, Subpoint 1, we need, we need a quorum of 62% on this issue. Thank you. <laughs> the reason that we have that is a lack of trust. That's it. It's fear and a lack of trust. I can tell you now that when the core team put our constitution together, we found one that was pretty much ready made on the Charity Commission website for people such as us, and we're all extremely relieved. <laughs> it's a legal document which is now filed locally somewhere, and the Charity Commission have it. I will tell you now, if any one of you ever come to me waving the constitution, saying, <laughs> I'm going to show a picture of me and a gun. <laughs> it's not why we have one. We are not a group of people who are legally bound by a constitution. We are people who are full of the spirit. And we're here to save people by introducing them to Jesus Christ. To create a community of people who are lost in wonder. Whose lives are surrendered to him. If we have church meetings where suddenly we're waving the constitution about, we have lost it. If the roads start to drive everything, we've lost it. If, if lots of people covers the day that God graces us with a massive warehouse of all the people who introduced to Jesus, when we come in, we find a lock on a cupboard. We lost it. We really have. 
We have to guard against it. So for me, it's not just about the ceremonial for the Holy Spirit. Our community needs to be characterised by that. Our deepest ambition is not that we want to become an elder or a deacon, but that we are lost in a wonder and love of God. We flow in love and joy together. Now that means it's messy. That can be difficult. Because we can annoy each other. And the squash supplies may run out. But that's cool, isn't it? If we're loving each other. We never want to be that kind of community. And today just gives me an opportunity to pin some of that down. We need to be a community of people who are characterised by love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Accepting that sometimes we lose it. And we have bad days. I mean, I, I think I'm going for the man pause at the moment. Which means I have, I, have, I have grumpy periods. But I'm characterised by a deep sense of inner joy. It's my excuse. It's more a state of permanent being rather than a shallow outward appearance of happiness. Which, on occasion, I don't have. Uh, well, there's many reasons I don't have that at the moment. But, but deep, deep in our heart of us, you know, we've got to just create a community whereby, you know, if, if, if one group of people are winding up another group of people, we just deal with it. And if there is joy and generosity, you'll cover it off. Another thing I can tell about the church, I'll say, give me your budget. I want to see how much you're giving away. If they're giving away the strict 10%, I think where well, you're heading towards legalism. If you're giving away less than 10%, you're not being missional. If you're thinking, we want to raise as much money as possible so it can be a massive blessing, that's incredible. Do you know, the fastest growing churches in this country through conversion growth, people coming to Christ, I've noticed are the most generous. They're the fastest growing churches. So they chose people full of the spirit and wisdom and the punchline for the first section. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The religious were getting converted and people's lives were changing. And the barriers were coming down. They got the culture right and the Holy Spirit was pleased. So that little passage in Ephesians 4, 20, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't behave like that when we are not characterised by those things of love and joy and peace. We grieve the Spirit. And you remember the, the very grave warning in Scripture, you know, for the story of Samson, when, you know, he broke all his Nazarite vows, and he says the Holy Spirit left him, and he didn't even know. He had so numbed and blunted the presence of God, he didn't even know that the Spirit left him. And do you know what? You can be a pumping church, you can have hundreds of people here, and the Holy Spirit could have departed in that anointing. And you didn't even know. Because you just displeased God. And it seems to me the spirit is very gentle. It just flutters away. You can so number blunt it, you just don't know. So it's for all of us to stay vigilant here. And make sure we have these characteristics of being full of the spirit. And as I said, it's not a shallow smile. It's a deep state of being. And letting these other values flow out from us. Now, a section uh, from verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now that's interesting too, because you think here, the, per the people who have been appointed into that deacon role, they're not just good at filling out rotors. 
They're flowing in the power of God. I mean, that's, that's amazing. There's something different happening here. That's how they knew, by the way, that they were full of the Spirit. Because this kingdom thing broke out around them. Stuff happened. But look at this. Opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen. Jews of Cyrene and Alexander, as provinces of Cilicia and Asia, they began to argue with Stephen. But they couldn't stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit. The Spirit gave them as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, and they stirred up the people and they seized him. Now, a very brief word on this. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, wherever the church determines to preach the truth, there will be opposition. But it won't come from expected places. It will come from those closest. The enemy will try and use people from within, and he'll try and use people who are very close to bring you down. I have to say that in nearly 20 years of full-on evangelistic work, I cannot recount one occasion where someone who's not a follower of Jesus has overtly or subversively opposed me. I can't think of one example, but I could give you loads where it's come from in the church. Nearly every new initiative, everything fresh and new, will get an attack. And it will normally come from within. And that's what happened there. Their closest kind of people, the Jewish people, didn't like it, so they stirred up opposition. And Dan will take us into chapter 7. We, next week, we are really good at effective, friendly fire. And that's a warning. You can have a vibrant, powerful community of people and it can disappear overnight. Which is why unity is so important and keeping on the same page. But not using constitutions and voting to do it. Because they are actually lack of trust. And what happens is, you have a church meeting where you all vote on stuff what happens is you come in thinking, well, I'm going to go and have my say. I've got an opinion on this. Well, what should be coming is surrender to Christ and saying, let's get excited about what Jesus is doing. And let's, how can we move ahead together? We can't give opportunity for factions. So I just want to say, really, as we journey on, and we're still very early days, we're not even six months, you know, as we journey on, if things start to agitate you, don't even let it get that far. You just need to come and talk to the complaints department and say, look, why is this happening like this? The first thing we need to do is guard our hearts. The scripture is the world's for life and say, you know, Psalm 139, see if there is any offensive, offensive way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Because we're a family. And transparency is important and what that stuff the administrative procedures, they're not what we want, what we want is family and conversation and praying together. One of the first things we should be able to do 
Let's say that I really wind up Northern. Like, I might massively wind you up. Something I say or say, I don't. I don't. Really? So I was sort of kicking. <laughs> what we should be able to do is just sit down together with a cup of tea and have a pray together. So look, let's invite the spirit here first. Because Matthew 18. You know, all, all the other guys, I mean, two or three agree together in one name, they're not in the midst of them. You know, we sit down together. And we just try and work things out. Because if the enemy can, he will undermine us from within. I want you to remember that I said that. Because it's so important. We've got to avoid friendly fire. So if you're kind of at home drawing up a list of complaints with subsections ready to submit to me and Dan, my word of advice is stop it. Don't do that. Come and see us. <laughs> we'll have a little chat. And we'll work it through together. Because we've got to be a family. I cannot emphasise it enough. The other thing that happens here is it's the spirit of grumbling. I can handle a straight talk. You know, I don't mind a straight talk. I mean, no one likes compensation. Sometimes it's fun. But no one likes compensation. No, no one likes that. But you know what? I can handle a straight talk. What's so disastrous is this background stuff. The murmurs of complaint. The grumbling. Gossiping. And what people tend to do is they form triangles. So, uh, I won't be with you again, Lord. Let's say that me and Simon have got an issue with Dan. Well, that happens most weeks, doesn't it? So let's use a good example. So we've got an issue with Dan. What happens in churches so often is that me and Simon, they mention that the Lord. Just in that voice. And then Laura, she's meeting up with Nick and Denise, and she goes, and so the, the, the triangles become square. And then Nick and Denise, they meet up with Andy. They go, yeah. And suddenly it's spread out. And then Dan stands up to speak, cracks a joke, and then I'm not. Which is what normally happens anyway. <laughs> and, you know, you think, what? He thinks, why is everyone being so funny with me? But the poor bloke, he doesn't stand a chance, does he? What the enemy's doing is fueling it. Fueling it. And fueling it. Now, I know the example here is from external forces, which, you know, can happen. But my most commonly observed strategy that the enemy uses is to go for the heart of relationship. We've just got to be on our guard, really. I've not spotted that. I'm not saying I know something. There's no hidden agenda here. You know, I would just say, that that's my style, I would say, I'm hearing a lot of gossip and grumbling, stop it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. I have no idea about that at all. I'm just saying in these early days, just be on our guard, okay? Just be a family. Now let's pray that the Spirit of God dwells richly amongst us. And when people come in here, they sense the joy. I tell you, and they're a good feeling. 
get up on a Sunday morning and look forward about the church to see people. I know it's an amazing feeling. I, I, and I've done a couple of times lately when I've actually, for a bloke who don't cry that much, I've had, I felt a little bit emotional. I don't know why now, don't worry. But I felt, you know, I've had a, I felt a little bit of eye awesome going on. I think, this is lovely. I've dreamed of this, you know, a church where people love each other. It's actually a good thing. I, I guarantee you the enemy's going to go for it. We'll go for it. Because the enemy won't like when we're doing it. So we have to be on our guard. So, that's today. Some structural stuff. We need to be looking for those people who are full of the Spirit as you grow to do things. Because they'll be characterised by the love and the grace and joy and they want it to flow. We need to guard that we don't go into our silos. We just got to keep that integrity and joy flowing through the life of the church. You know, you can, you can run fantastic outreach services, you can have a fantastic band, you can produce great PR and just be displeasing God. You can be preaching the kingdom week in, week out. You can be communicating the gospel. But what is the point if the community you're building is sub-kingdom? Preaching the kingdom will be holding sub-kingdom. And I'll close out on this. My observation is that true kingdom communities, although they can pursue excellence and have people full of spirit and wisdom and all that stuff, they can pursue excellence. Do you know what? They always appear to be a little bit messy to me. Just a little bit messy on the edges because people have just been people in there. People are a bit mad, aren't they? A little bit weird. <coughs> Everyone's normal until so you get to know that old face, isn't it? And life happens and stuff happens. And you won't be able to micromanage what happens when life breaks out because people are creative because God's a creative God. So, true kingdom communities might always be a little bit messy. And people might always be living the way you expect them to. You might think, well, Dan and I aren't correcting things the way we should be correcting them. Because, hey, we're just a group of people who are surrendered to Jesus. And we want to be full of joy. Not with everything pinned down. Do you know what I mean? Just, just flowing together.